We are in a series in Genesis called The Beginning of It All, looking at these first few chapters, learning as we go. So we'll be in chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2 this morning. As I spent time meditating on this passage, and we'll look at the passage shortly, I just uh, was aware once again of what a privilege it is to gather together on Sundays and worship the Lord, to be here as God's people. Um, there's really, I, I don't think, anything better this side of heaven than being together as His people in His presence. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, our, our uh, 19th century hero, said that the church is the dearest place on earth. And I think the dearest day among the dearest place on earth would be Sunday when we can come together. Just what a, what a blessing it is to worship together. What a privilege. And this passage we're going to look at addresses the whole idea of the Sabbath and what is the Sabbath. And, and a lot of churches and their Sunday practices uh, differ. There's actually a wide variety of what churches do on the dearest day, among the dearest place on, on earth. I heard recently of a church that starts at 9 o'clock in the morning with Sunday school, adult Sunday school, and then at 11 they have worship and teaching. They take a short break, then they have lunch together, and then they have a prayer meeting in the, right after that, and then again at, I think, 4 o'clock they have another meeting and another teaching time. And I thought, boy, they really do their Sundays well uh, as far as <laughs> packing it in with stuff. But then there are churches that, that you know, will have a one-hour worship time, you know, worship and teaching, and that's really all they have. So there's a lot of variety out there among churches. Uh, some churches would, would actually not even meet on a Sunday. They might meet, meet during the week, on a, on a weeknight. So there's a lot of different ideas. The Puritans, our Puritan forefathers here in New England, uh, considered Sunday a Christian Sabbath day. And they were very devout and zealous and strict about how they did their Sundays. Um, and you guys have heard of the Blue Laws in Massachusetts? Anyone? The Blue Laws, they're the laws that, that date back from the time of the Puritans, and there's a lot of Blue Laws actually, but, but usually we, we're familiar with the aspect of the Blue Laws that, that forbade any sort of business on Sunday. If you visit the Mass General Laws, it's, the laws are still there actually. I'll read you uh, chapter 136, section 5. Whoever on Sunday keeps open his shop, warehouse, factory, or other place of business, or who sells foodstuffs, goods, wares, merchandise, or real estate, or does any manner of labor, business, or work, except works of necessity and charity, shall be punished by a fine of not less than $20, nor more than $100 for a first offense, and a fine of not less than $50, nor more than $200 for each subsequent offense and each unlawful act or sale shall constitute a separate offense. So you couldn't do anything on a Sunday. Now, if you know the history of what's happened in the past 15 years, is that if you look at Section 6, it has all the exceptions to Section 5. And the exceptions basically cover everything that you could possibly do on a Sunday. So they make the law toothless, essentially. Um, So we have this heritage of, of Sundays being a special day among the Puritans. Matter of fact... That's why Boston's called Beantown. Uh, it's related to how the Puritans 
celebrated Sunday. And you guys are probably thinking, whoa, how's this going to work? Well, Bean Town is where baked beans were invented. And it came from a recipe from the Indians where they used bear fat and, and uh, maple syrup. They adapted it, made pork and, um, and, and uh, molasses. And uh, the reason that they made beans is on, because they held the Sabbath, the Sunday, so strictly they didn't cook on Sunday at all. And they believed that the Sabbath started Saturday night. So essentially Saturday night dinner, they didn't want to cook. So they slow cooked beans on Saturday. And, and that's what they would have Saturday night. And then they'd eat the leftovers on Sunday. And so bean, the Puritans are the ones that made beans popular. And, and they're the reason we're called Bean Town. And it all goes back to, to Sundays and how they celebrated Sundays. Well, um, you may think all this trivia doesn't amount to a hill of beans. <laughs> but it's all related to our passage today and what the Word of God teaches us on what's called the Sabbath. And this theme of the Sabbath is not trivial in the Scriptures at all. It's actually very central. And just as we've found in the book of Genesis, these themes that are established right from the beginning, they resonate through the whole Bible. The Sabbath is no exception. This celebration of the Sabbath resonates through the entire Bible. So let's take a look at the section today. God's Word. Let me pray first, though. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord. Your Word is just amazing because You are amazing, Lord. And just in this first chapter or two, Lord, there's just so much about You and Your ways and about creation that we can learn. And, and uh, Lord, it's wonderful to behold it. It's wonderful to see, Lord, Your consistency throughout the whole Bible, these themes resonating. God, You are truly glorious and Your Word is wonderful. And so, Lord, we ask You accordingly that You would speak to us, that You would use Your Word, Your written Word, and, and the gift of preaching and expounding on Your Word, Lord, to speak, that we might behold Your glory, we might understand Your ways from Your Word, and that our lives might be changed and that You might be glorified. We thank You, Lord, for this opportunity this morning to gather and to hear Your Word and to be affected by Your ministry. So. We look to You. Lord, I'm weak and You are strong and mighty. And so I pray You'd use me. Lord, I know I need You. I know we need You. So come and pour out Your Spirit and minister to us and to Your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. Some background. Chapter 1, we've read about how God has made everything, the heavens and the earth, how He created um, from something that was formless and empty. He created a form. And then He filled it, and then He set man to image His glory over all this creation. So that would be basically day one through day six. And we come to day seven in chapter two. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done. And He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. So God has made the heavens and the earth in days 1 to 6 and then He spends a whole day resting. And so this theme of rest is, should strike us to recognize that God Himself, the all-powerful One, actually had a day where it says he rested from all his work. 
So this theme of resting, we'll see, I, I trust, as we go through the, this message in the Word of God, resonates throughout the Bible. God Himself, uh, though He's all-powerful, He is a God who's made rest. He's created rest. It's important for us in understanding this passage, too, to recognize that Genesis, the whole book of Genesis, and really the first five books of the Bible, were written for the covenant people of God, for the people of Israel that God had made an agreement with, a covenant with, first in Abraham, and then uh, through Moses. And so this book was written for these people as they came out of Egypt. And in Egypt, they served as slaves, right? And they never had a day of rest. They would have worked every day uh, throughout their whole lives. And so they knew constant work, and they knew oppression. And so God comes in. We know the, the story from Exodus. He comes in and He delivers them dramatically and mightily from Egypt and their slavery and their oppression. And He brings them out and He makes a covenant with them and He calls them to walk in His ways. And that's really what the first five books of the Bible are about. It's the, the books that they would have received after coming out of Egypt and before going into the land, the promised land, the land of rest in Canaan. And so God, in that context, presents to them the Word of God and presents to them this whole idea of Sabbath. So it's a, a command of God to observe the Sabbath. It's, it's part of being the covenant people of God in, in the Old Testament to receive from God this God who had delivered them from constant striving and work into rest. It's, it's from Him and one of the basic covenant commandments. If we want to kind of see, or see a summary of all the covenant commandments that God gave to His people in the Old Testament, we can turn to Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. Right? Do we know the Ten Commandments? Does anyone, can anyone list off the Ten Commandments? Tower? Excellent. Do you, want, do you want to go for it? You don't have to. Let's see, we can do this together. Commandment number one. You know God... Yeah, actually, not the first and second and greatest commandment. That's, that's a different one that summarizes it. But number one, no gods before me. Number two, no idols, no graven images. Yep. Number three, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Very good. Number four, keep holy Sabbath. So those first four commands are about relating to God. It's interesting, just a little analysis of the Ten Commandments. And now, I tell my kids this one. The first one about relating to people says... Honor your father and mother. It's interesting. What's, so that's number five. Number six is do not murder. That's a good one for parents to tell their kids. Notice that honor your father and mother comes first before do not murder. It must be very important in God's eyes. Um, so do, honor your mother and father, number six, do not murder. Number seven, uh, number seven, that's number eight. Number seven, no, do not commit adultery. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, do, do not lie. Yep. And number ten, do not covet. So those are the Ten Commandments given by God who had delivered His people from Egypt and now is calling them to covenant obedience. So the Ten Commandments. And so number five, I mean number four, is to remember the Sabbath. So Genesis chapter 2, the account of God's creation fits right into the call of God to the people of Israel to remember the Sabbath. Exodus 20, right where it has the commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you 
or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And the word Sabbath, it looks like the root is from to cease, to cease working. So it's a commandment right there. They were not to work on that day at all. This was to be a day where the entire community of God ceased working. Everybody. Not even the animals were to do anything on the Sabbath day. It was to be a day of entire rest. And they were to keep it wholeheartedly and strictly. There was to be no, no compromise with this commandment. And if you look through the Scriptures, you can see how strict it was. How strict God was in the Sabbath. In Exodus 31, again, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep My Sabbaths. For this is a sign between Me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. How'd you like that for a requirement? Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day He rested and was refreshed. So they were to cease working on the Sabbath, and if they did work, they were to be put to death. That's how strict and serious God was about this Sabbath idea, about the idea of resting. So it's a capital offense. In Numbers 15, we see, this is before the people have entered the land, there's a guy who's picking up sticks on the Sabbath. And he's not playing the game, pick up sticks. He's picking up sticks to make a fire. So he's working, and they catch him doing it. And they say, Lord, what should we do? And, and the Lord says, put him to death. So the guy gets put to death for gathering sticks on the Sabbath. So God is very serious about this Sabbath obligation. And He says it's a sign of the covenant between me and you. So it's, it's more than just the idea of not working. It's actually a sign. It's an expression of our relationship to God. And a very serious one for the Lord. Matter of fact, if you continue in Scripture throughout the Old Testament, again, it, it reverberates throughout the whole Old Testament how serious the Sabbath is. In the book of Nehemiah, when after the people have been exiled, they have, they have disobeyed God. And we know that, that not only did they pick up sticks, but they did lots of things on the Sabbath. They really profaned the Sabbath. They stopped keeping the Sabbath and a, and a lot of other things. So they were exiled, as God had promised, to a foreign land. So they were removed from the land of rest of flowing with milk and honey and blessing, and put in a foreign land. And then what happens is God in His graciousness, though they didn't deserve it, but because of His promises to them, He brings them back. And He, and he brings leaders to them to reestablish them. And Nehemiah is one of those leaders. And he's trying to lead the people. And in chapter 13 of Nehemiah, the people are doing business on the Sabbath. And Nehemiah goes to rebuke them. And know what he says to them? He says, isn't this why we were exiled? And you guys are, doing, are profaning the Sabbath? What's going on? So Nehemiah is blaming their uh, dishonoring of the Sabbath uh, is, for the reason they were exiled. He's saying that's why we were exiled. So, so the Sabbath is a pretty high 
an important thing for the people of Israel, for the Old Testament covenant people of God. If you continue throughout your Bible and, and read Isaiah, actually there's promises in Isaiah about restoring the people. And one of the things that the, the restored people are characterized as, and I think Isaiah is speaking not only to the return from the exile, but the future fulfillment of all things when Christ returns, he says these people are Sabbath keepers. And anybody who, who comes to Him, no matter who you are, if you come to Him and are a Sabbath keeper, you'll be blessed. So not only was it why they were exiled, but it was to characterize their restoration. Keeping the Sabbath again. So this thing about the Sabbath is just not a minor thing in the Old Testament. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And those are all pretty major commandments. And keeping the Sabbath is one of them. And, and it's considered reason for God to, to discipline the people of God. So it was a sign of their covenant relationship. An indication of their devotion and love to God. It was both a command, a strict command, and it was to be a blessing for them. It was not to be just duty. It was to be delight as well. It was to be a way that they expressed their dependence on God and their, and their delight in Him. The One who had already delivered them from ceaseless slavery into the land of rest. There's some other things that I think that we want to understand about the Sabbath. Because you, you might be thinking, like, like I have, like, well, I just still don't get it. I mean, God's really taking this thing seriously. I mean, put to death for gathering sticks on a Sunday. I mean, if they were put to death for gathering sticks, what happens to us for watching football on a Sunday? And as I studied that, that's right where I went. I went to football. I thought, you know, well, I watch football and I love to watch football. Does this mean that I can't watch football anymore? That's sad. kind of reveals what I'm like. You know, that's one of my higher idols, perhaps, is football. But anyhow, if they got put to death for picking up sticks, what about us? Well, I'm going to answer that question in a little while, and if you can just hang on and not panic yet, I think you'll, you'll have some resolution. But there's something deeper in all these things about the nature of God and the nature of being God's people that I believe caused God to take it so seriously and caused this to be a theme that resonates throughout the whole Bible. We really want to ask, what is the heart of Sabbath keeping? What is the heart of the Sabbath? And I think if we look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, we can see some of what the heart of Sabbath keeping is. So take a look again in your Bibles at Genesis chapter 2. Let's reread that, and then we'll, we'll camp a little bit on some of the terms used there. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. There's a couple words that are repeated through there, that passage. One is finished. And that's a key element of what the Sabbath is about. God had finished His work on the sixth day. So He had finished His work. And then He rested a number of times. He rested. He rested. So the Sabbath is related to the idea that God has finished His work and that there's a resting in that finished work. Really, I guess to boil down the Sabbath, the Sabbath is a celebration, a resting in the finished work of God. That's really what the Sabbath is to be. It's, it's resting in the finished work of God. 
And it's a celebration of that. And so finished and rested and holy. God sets apart this day. and He sets apart really the people that observe this day as holy. That's what holy means. It means set apart for God. So the day is set apart for God. The, the idea of Sabbath rest is set apart by God. The people of God are set apart and made holy. So it says that they were that he finished this work. We know in chapter 1 what he did in creating all things. He, he created forms, so things were formless and empty. He makes the forms, and then he fills them. He fills them with... He, fills the, he makes the earth. He fills the earth with animals. He makes the sky. He fills the earth with the sky with birds. And he makes the light and he, and he distinguishes the light with stars, the sun and the moon. He makes the sea and he fills the sea. So he makes this, this context to express his glory. We learn about that. He wanted to express his glory. All things are made by him, through him, and to him are all things. And so then he put man in his image to reflect his glory and to have dominion. So he's done this work of expressing his glory and creating a context for him to be glorified, and then he rests having finished that. And we can actually follow that pattern throughout the Scriptures, the idea of God finishing a work, the idea of God completing the work of making a place to display his glory. So that same word actually for finish that we see in chapter 2 is used later on in Exodus 40. And that's when they made the tabernacle. And it says... uh, and he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court so Moses finished the work. So the same word. Moses finishes the tabernacle. Later on, Second Chronicles chapter 7, the temple is built. And it says the same thing. Solomon finished the work of the temple. So this is finishing. There's this completion of, of this arena where God is worshipped and where His glory is manifest. Creation... The tabernacle, the place where they worshipped. The temple. And then if we fast forward to the New Testament, there's this word finished used again. John chapter 19. When our Lord's on the cross. 1930. When Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, It is finished. And He bowed His head and gave up His spirit. We back up in the book of John, chapter 4, we learn that Jesus is seen as the new temple. Jesus is that new arena to express the glory of God. It's the new place where, where we worship God in the context of Jesus, being united with Him. He's the new temple. So in a sense, He goes to the cross. He lives a perfect life. He goes to the cross. He dies for our sins. He suffers for our sins. And He says, it is finished. The same concept. And then we can go to the very end of our Bibles. Revelation chapter one, uh, 21. And it says, and he, and he who was seated on the throne, verses, verse 5, said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. So again, there's this finishing, the final, final finishing in chapter 21 of everything that God had planned. It is finished. So, 
if we're going to understand what the Sabbath is about and what keeping the Sabbath is about, we must first understand that it's based on the fact that God has finished something. Right in, Revel- right in Genesis chapter 2, He's finished His creation and He rests. And so in the Old Testament, He calls the people of God to rest in His work. To cease working themselves. Cease striving themselves and rest in God. So this Sabbath is an expression of their utter dependence on God's work. And so to profane the Sabbath for the people of God in the Old Testament is essentially to say that, that you know, it really depends on my work. I need to work on Sundays. It's about me and what I can do. And, and life is not about God and what He has done. It's really, in a sense, saying, God, I don't need You. I don't depend on You. I'm my own person. I'm not in covenant with You. It's an insult, essentially, to God versus worship. The worship of observing this day and resting and realizing God has finished His work and I rest in Him and I rest with Him. I depend on Him entirely. That's why God considered it very important. And there's much we can learn about who God is and what it is to be His people from that. He calls us to rest in His work. Moses and the people of Israel weren't around when He made the heavens and the earth. They had done nothing. Ultimately, they had done nothing to deliver themselves from Egypt. God did it. And so He called them to express that by resting on the seventh day, which was Saturday. Resting that day, not working at all. Using that day to worship. And He made that day holy. He set it apart as a holy day for the worship of God and for resting in Him. What is true for the Old Testament saint is true for us as well. It's really God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His ways are the same. And to be a believer is to rest in His work. is to rest in Him. And so this truth of the Sabbath, I think, should hit us all right between the eyes. You guys are familiar with the story of Mary and Martha in Luke 10? You guys know that story? Jesus comes to visit these sisters and, and Martha is just very aware of what needs to be done. Perhaps, you know, they're going to have a dinner. And she's just very aware that, you know, there's all these preparations that need to be done. We've got to make dinner. We've got to get things ready. We're going to have people around. We've got to clean the house. I don't know they had dirt floors, so I don't know how you clean the house back then. But you had to clean the house. You had to do all these things. And she's just running around. And Mary makes the choice to sit at Jesus' feet, to be with Him. And, and Martha, like me, and I, I think like you, he, she gets kind of frustrated and aggravated with Mary. And, and it's interesting, she gets so upset that she actually confronts Jesus about her sister. She doesn't go around and say, you know, say, hey Mary, you know, hey, we need you in the kitchen. Actually goes to Jesus and she's upset and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. She's really upset. And Jesus basically says, um, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. Only one thing is necessary. Only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the better. Mary chose to rest in Jesus. Martha was laboring. Now, it doesn't mean that you know, we're all to go out and quit our jobs and just sit around and read the Bible and, and worship together. There, are, there is work, and Martha did need to, to do work around the house. But her attitude was not one of resting. I'm a lot like Martha. 
And God takes it very seriously that His people would be like Mary, that they would rest, that we would rest in His work, that we would rest in Him. And so many times, I know for me, I struggle because of that. And, I can, and when, I, when I sin, at times I can look at my sin and realize, you know what's behind this sin? You know what's behind it? It's me striving. It's me being Martha. It's me trying to make things work. One area that I have struggled with, and, and you guys know this, I told you before, and probably wondering what's wrong with this guy. He's always sharing the same sin. Isn't he growing in Jesus? But I am a little bit. God is good to me. But this, the sin of irritability. Uh, sometimes when I'm at home and, and I'm disturbed when I'm working, I, can, I find myself being irritable. Sometimes I express that, and, and my kids and my wife know it. Other times it's just kind of deep inside me. And I believe what's at the core of it is my disobedience to observe the Sabbath. My disobedience to rest in God. I'm striving. I'm working hard. And I'm thinking, if things are going to get done, i got to work. And if you're disturbing me, you're keeping me from getting the things that need to get done. And so I'm working, I'm working, I'm laboring, I'm frustrated, and when I'm disturbed, I respond. So I'm not resting in God. And, and from that comes irritability. And, and I'm recognizing that, and I'm trying to apply these truths, and God's working, thank God. And He's so often so good to me to remind me to rest. And to remind me that my life as a Christian and as a pastor, my ability to do anything truly worthy comes from resting already in His finished work. Resting in Him. There was a time, um, some, a couple of years ago, I was on a prayer walk and I just was aware of a lot that needed to be done. Just aware of things, you know, as a pastor that needed to be addressed and so forth. And, and I was somewhat overwhelmed but just praying and bringing it to the Lord. And while I was walking, John 19:30 came to mind. And the Lord just reminded me, it is finished. And I just realized in that moment that anything I can do as a pastor is based on the fact that Jesus finished the work already. I can't do anything apart from that. My ability to serve anybody is only based on the fact that He finished the work. And now there's grace available for me. Now there's grace in the church. Now there are people of God that, that before time began, God has said, this one's mine, and now they, their sin was paid for. It is already finished. And now I can, as an agent of God's grace, be used to affect their lives. But only because it is finished. Only because of that. So my ability to do anything must stand on resting in a finished work. And that was wonderful encouragement for me. So may we be a people who rest in His finished work, just like the Old Testament people of God. Now there are some ways that we express this that are different from the Old Testament people of God. And this is where we, we kind of deal with the whole idea, is it okay to watch football or not, and all those issues. Now, I don't want to, as we kind of go at that, I, I, I don't want us to be any less sober about God's exacting requirements to rest in His finished work. Because He does not ever compromise that. Ever. That's consistent throughout the whole Bible. But I want us to understand how Jesus coming and fulfilling all things has changed how we observe the Sabbath. Ultimately, the Old Testament keeping of the Sabbath was a foreshadowing. It was looking forward to the ultimate keeping of the Sabbath. And we learn that from Colossians chapter 2. Paul is speaking to the Colossians there. He says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath. 
He's basically saying, Colossians, don't let anyone judge you on how you keep the Old Testament law. On how you follow these commands given to the people of Israel. This was a covenant made by God with the people of Israel. And, and Jesus coming to fulfill all things changes these. So he says, don't let anyone pass judgment on these things. The Sabbath being a key element of that. Keeping a Sabbath. And then in verse 17 he says, these are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. So Christ is the substance of it. These things in the Old Testament are the shadow, the foreshadowing, the, in the sense, the, the wetting our appetite, giving a picture of the ultimate fulfillment in Christ. Christ is the fulfillment. Being in Christ is the fulfillment of all these things. Being in Christ is ultimately observing the Sabbath and obeying God, for He Himself has fulfilled all these things. The Sabbath pointed forward to the ultimate Sabbath, the ultimate finished work, the ultimate resting in a finished work. And so for us as believers, we are no longer bound to observe the thing that was the shadow. We don't open up our Bibles, the Old Testament, and start saying, well, we need to eat this way and dress this way and follow these festivals and we need to build a temple. We don't do that because Christ has come and fulfilled all those things. Now, there's much to learn about God and His nature and His ways from the Old Testament. We don't discard it, but it has been transformed and fulfilled in Christ with how we relate to it. And so the Sabbath has ultimately been filled, fulfilled in Christ. And for the believer, we no longer merely observe the Sabbath one day a week on Saturdays. We observe the Sabbath always, every day of the week. Because to be a believer... The essence of being a believer essentially is resting in the finished work of Christ. And if you are not resting in the finished work of Christ, you're not a believer. Because that, that is what it means to be a believer. It's one who has put their faith in Christ. It's one who said, has said, my works count for nothing. If I were to labor for six days or 6,000 days, I could never do works that would please God. They ultimately by themselves count for nothing. But there is one who has labored and labored 30 years, 33 years, and was perfect in everything and fulfilled all things and then died on the cross to bear my sins, to pay for my sins, to fulfill all the requirements that were given to mankind perfectly. He has finished the work we could never finish. And so to be a believer is to recognize He has finished the work. And He now says, come and rest in my work. Cease striving in your own work and depend on Me and My work. Turn from your sin. Turn from your self-effort. Turn from your own striving. Turn from your self-worship, which is sin. And rest in the One who is worthy of your worship. Rest in the One who has done all the work. So for the believer, that, that's every day. That's all the time. We are to rest. We are to live as Sabbath-keeping people in all things. So no longer is it one day, it is every day. It is all time. And it will be ultimately fulfilled when Christ returns and we experience the new heaven and the new earth and it will be an eternal, perfect, completely fulfilled Sabbath. So for a believer, that's how we do the Sabbath. It isn't Saturday. It isn't even Sunday. It is every day. 
Now, Sunday is related to it. We'll get into that shortly. But it's every day. John Calvin says about this, but there is no doubt that by the Lord Christ's coming, the ceremonial part of this commandment was abolished. For He Himself is the truth, with whose presence all figures vanish. He is the body at whose appearance the shadows are left behind. He is, I say, the true fulfillment of the Sabbath. This is not confined within a single day, but extends to the whole course of our life until completely dead to ourselves, we are filled with the life of God. Christians ought therefore to shun completely the superstitious observance of days. Calvin was saying it's not about Sunday replacing Saturday or any day. It's about Christ replacing the Sabbath and us being in Christ and experiencing a Sabbath all the time. Now he went on later to talk about how to worship and how to observe the Sabbath and about what Sundays are about and so forth. So he didn't say we should never meet or anything like that, but, but it's, just, it's been changed by Christ's coming. So all of life is to be a Sabbath. We are to completely rest in the finished work of Christ. That's what it is to observe the Sabbath. And the question I want to leave us with as we go through this is, am I resting in a finished work? Or am I laboring on the Sabbath? And I think if I understand the Old Testament right, understand the New Testament right, this was a capital offense in the Old Testament. People were put to death. And the book of Hebrews, the way it teaches about this, is that, that if we don't rest in the finished work of Christ, we are cut off from God. It's very serious. And He wants us to rest in His finished work. He wants us to live that way and to not strive. So the question is, for each of us, Am I resting in the finished work of Christ? And is everything I do flowing from that rest? Or are there things I do that are laboring on the Sabbath? Are there things that I do where I am trying to work my own way through life? I'm trying to merit the favor of God or the favor of men. Something to make myself worth something. Something to earn something. For the believer, that's not to be. We are to rest in His finished work and everything we do flows out of that rest. Now, I want to spend a little time talking about ways, other ways that we observe the Sabbath as believers. There's a number of ways we can do this. We, we don't want to abuse the fact that Jesus has fulfilled the Sabbath. We don't want to say, well, every day is a Sabbath and then really not do anything any day in light of that. Right? We don't want to abuse this truth. So one thing we do in honor, honoring the Sabbath is we meet regularly as the people of God to celebrate the finished work, to rest together, to, to live in light of the finished work, to live in light and, and participate in and walk in the implications of that finished work. We are to gather together regularly to celebrate this. And if we read in our Bibles, we'll see that the Jewish practice of setting apart Saturday as a day of rest was replaced with setting apart the Lord's Day. We call it Sunday. In other languages, it's actually the Lord's Day. Um, that's the name for Sunday. It's the Lord's Day, the day that He rose from the dead. That practice of observing the Sabbath is replaced by the early church with observing Sunday as a day to gather to worship and to celebrate His finished work. They don't follow it as strictly. They're not under the law in the same sense. 
But they do set apart Sundays. So you can check out your Bibles in Acts 20. Paul goes to Troas and he and the people had gathered on Sunday to worship and he gives a message. So you, you see this pattern. The people gathering on Sunday to, to worship and to hear the Word preached. In 1 Corinthians 16, he, he calls them on the first day of the week to set apart money for the Jerusalem church. So when you're gathered as the people of God. And then in Revelation, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. So he was worshiping God, getting some time with the Lord, and that's when he had the revelation that we call revelation on the Lord's day. So there's this pattern of worshiping God. So we set apart Sundays to worship God. Now we are to set apart every day to rest in its finished work, but we are to set apart Sundays as a special day. As I said in the beginning, it's the happiest day of the dearest place on earth when we gather on Sundays. So Sundays are an important way for us to express the fact that Christ has finished His work and we rest and we live in light of that. It's an important day for us to to experience the implications of this Sabbath rest. To come and be reminded of His finished work. To enjoy that. And so we want to make Sundays a priority. And, And I think in many ways we do. But here are some suggestions, I think, that will help us honor the Sabbath and how we experience Sundays. One, I'd say, is pray throughout the week for our Sunday gathering. It's an important day. So pray during the week for our Sunday gathering. Pray for the Lord's blessing on our time. Pray for individuals that God might minister to them in the context of Sunday. Now, we believe being in the church is more than meeting on Sunday, so we have small groups and we build relationally together. But Sunday is a very important day. And, and I, as, as a pastor, and I think those who serve on Sundays in various capacities, I'm sure it's been my experience, I think it's yours, I just experience God's grace in many ways on Sundays. And I believe that that's because He cares very much about this expression of observing the Sabbath. And He wants to meet with us. It is a special day and a unique day. So pray during the week and come on Sundays expecting God to honor this day. Expecting Him who cares so much about this Sabbath observance, who cares so much that His people rest in His finished work, expect Him to meet us on Sundays come in the door having prayed and expecting God to meet us. Consider how to serve on Sundays. Because our experience of resting and rejoicing and celebrating His finished work depends on people serving that end. So consider how to serve. How, what role to serve in. We have uh, a need for people to, to... We have the need to form a set-up and tear-down team. So there's lots of opportunity like that and other ways for us to... to serve our Sundays and serve the rest of the folks. My, my desire is that we would all be able to serve at least one Sunday a month. And I think if we did that, we'd be able to those other three Sundays or so uh, be released from that and release others from that. So, so serving on Sunday. And many of you do that already so well. Another way to honor the Sabbath is to prepare, for those of you who have children, prepare your children for Sunday. Prepare them. At a young age, help them to start to appreciate what Sundays are about and what a privilege they are, that they might start praying and expecting God. So spend time together preparing them on Saturday night. Get them to bed early Saturday night. Pray together. And then spend time on Sunday after our corporate worship talking about the time. So asking the question, how did you encounter God today? Was there anything in the message that God spoke to you? What is God doing as a result of this time on Sunday? So preparing and leading our children in that. The Puritans are wonderful examples. 
Now, the Puritans, I think, their, their understanding of the Sabbath was slightly different. Uh, they thought that we should keep it as strictly and as, and as completely as the Old Testament did, pretty much. Um, so I'm not saying to emulate all that. I think that every day is our Sabbath. But there's much that they did that is very wise and wonderful examples. So they, they were wonderful at making Sundays a family day of worship and doing those very things with the kids, preparing them and following up. So we want to do that. If you can get the day off, do it. Uh, get Sundays off. I know some people have to work sometimes. Go to bed early Saturday night. Get adequate rest. So you come ready. Prepare yourself spiritually Sunday morning. Prepare yourself spiritually Sunday morning. Take some time Sunday morning to get with the Lord and, and to pray and to visit His Word. To prepare yourself so that you come ready on Sunday to give and receive versus coming in half asleep or dull of spirit. It makes a big difference in your Sunday experience. And it makes a big difference in our Sunday experience if you prepare or if you don't. Uh, another thing that's important is being on time. And, and we can be guilty of not being on time, and that affects our Sunday experience. Even better than being on time, come a little early. We meet at 10 o'clock to pray. And you are very welcome to pray with us. And, and whether you come at 10.15, come on in. Uh, we meet in the staff room upstairs and pray. So being on time and being early is a wonderful way to honor the Sabbath and to to prepare for our time. And then finish the day reflecting on His finished work, reflecting on the truths that you've learned and the applications gained, and thanking God for His work and for your Sunday. I think as we do that, we are going to be able to honor the Sabbath and enjoy it more and more in how we do our Sundays. Um, I can remember when I was a kid, I went to church every Sunday, but in the tradition I grew up in, it was a day of obligation. And it was, I went because I had to and I was supposed to. And I remember someone telling me once, hey, God gives you the rest of the week, at least you can give him 45 minutes on Sunday. And that's kind of the philosophy I had. And, and I actually found a way to get around the 45 minutes that if you went to Father Publicover's Mass, he could say the Mass in 20 minutes. He would, go, he would go through it really fast. And so I, went, I would, would try to go to Father Publicover's Mass whenever we could because we just wanted to get through the day. And it's sad. I didn't know the Lord back then. And it was sad to have that approach. Um, but boy, 20 minutes was great because then I could get out and do what I want on the rest of the day. And I'm so glad for God getting a hold of my life and changing my whole view of Sunday that now, and this was before I was a pastor too, so it's not, not because it's my job, but, but now as a believer, I, I love Sundays. And coming on in in the morning and just expecting God and experiencing God time after time is such a wonderful privilege. That's what the Lord wants for our lives. He wants Sunday to be a day that we're not looking forward to. How do I, how do I get through this? Or how do I get on to the other stuff in the rest of the day? But how do I get to remember His finished work and celebrate it with His people? How can I prepare for this day to make the most of it in His glory? So, making Sundays a special day not being under law in that, but having it be a, an expression of our rest and the finished work of God. Another way, I think, too, is just recognizing the way the Sabbath was given to the Old Testament people of God. They were called to, to honor the Lord in it. They were called to physically rest. They were to cease working. So not only was it an expression of their dependence on God, but it was also rest for their bodies. And the reality is, folks, we have the same sort of bodies as they did, and we need rest, physical rest. 
And, and maybe it's not Sunday, but, but I think Sunday's a great day to just take time to rest. Just take time maybe in your afternoon just to go back and rest. Take a nap perhaps. I, I used to do that. I don't do it now, but take a nap and be refreshed because we need that. We need physical rest. So that's another way I think we can, can honor the Sabbath. And in conclusion, the most important way, the most important way we honor the Sabbath is by resting in that finished work of Christ's. The Gospel, the good news of Christ crucified and risen, leaves no room for our works. It leaves no room for striving. It's actually interesting in Hebrews 4, in talking of the rest that comes through Christ and the, the, the complete Sabbath that we have in Christ, it says, strive to enter that rest. Isn't that interesting? Strive to enter that rest. What, a, what an interesting combination of words. Strive to enter that rest. And for us as believers, the Gospel leaves no room for our works. There's nothing that you do in what Christ did. Actually, there is one thing. What's that? Sin. So if you want to contribute somehow to the Gospel, the only thing you can do is sin. And, I, and we don't want to do that because we've been affected by the Gospel. But, but there's nothing that we do. Christ did it all. And we are to strive. We are to strive. We are to work to rest in that. We are to make every effort to rest. We are to make every effort to make no effort. We are to work to rest in Him. We are to work to put off self-effort and self-work. We must remind ourselves that there's nothing that we did to purchase our salvation. We were not around when it happened. We were not around when God, before time began, said, I'm going to rescue this one in the future. We were not even made. He did the thinking. He did the working. He did the planning. He sent His Son. His Son did the work of obedience and holiness. His Son fulfilled all things. His, his Son was perfect. Not you. Not me. His Son went to the cross knowing what it would mean. Knowing that it would mean that the wrath of God for sin being poured out on Him in full. He went knowing that. He made the decision. You didn't. I didn't. He gave Himself up to men that He might be crucified. And then God raised Him from the dead on the third day. You didn't. I didn't. We did nothing. Zero. Nothing. And not only that, but He is the one who has worked in our lives to open our eyes. If God does not do that, there is no seeing. He did it. The ability to believe ultimately comes from Him. Yes, He works it through us, but it is from Him. We have done nothing. And so He says, strive to enter that rest. As a believer, we must make every effort to make no effort. We must make every effort to rest completely in His finished work. And that is the most important way we can observe the Sabbath. And again, are you making effort to rely on your own effort? Or are you making every effort to make no effort to rest in Him alone? To receive what He's done? That's what faith is. Faith is putting our hope in something. Ultimately putting our hope in another. Putting our hope in someone else's work. In His work. 
So observing the Sabbath is resting in His finished work. And we are to strive. We are to make every effort. And yes, there are things that flow from that. I don't think it means apathy results. It means life results. It means that much action results. It means that much seeking to grow in this reality and to grow in our call to be like Christ results from that. There's a lot that flows from that, but it flows from the rest. The rest must be the foundation. And from that flows everything else. So to observe the Sabbath is to rest in the finished work of Christ. To be a believer is to be an active Sabbath rester. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask You to help us to observe the Sabbath. We ask You, Lord, to help us and remind us about Your call to rest in the finished work of Christ alone. Lord, may we not violate the Sabbath by striving in ourselves and thinking that we can earn something from You. Lord, would You so work in our lives that we would be characterized as those who rest in Your finished work. And Lord, that from that would flow much activity. But it would all be activity that is grounded in rest and reliance on You. That flows from You. Lord, that there would be much activity, there would be much striving to walk in the implications of our rest, striving to be like Christ, working by the power of Your Spirit in grace to to be holy, but Lord, all the while resting completely in You. For You have finished the work. You have achieved all righteousness. You, Jesus, are our righteousness. We will never be more righteous than You are. We will never be righteous in ourselves before You to earn anything. You are our righteousness. You have done it. So Lord, I pray as we go forth today from this place and as we live our life out the rest of this week, that we would be Sabbath observers. We would rest completely in the finished work of Christ. And God, that You would be greatly glorified in that we pray. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand? The band could come up. And let's just spend a little bit of time enjoying our Sabbath rest as we worship God and close in worship.